A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. At Bridge Farm Cafe, we always use Sarah Smith cloths. When I was at Brookfield, they only had those nasty blue and white ones. But these are a bit vintage. Like our furniture. Balance says I have to call our cakes vintage, not stale. Sarah Smith for the posher washer. <laughs> You might recognise my voice as the long-departed and rather missed Nigel in The Archers. Well, I, Graham Seed, will be joining Royville Lucy and hopefully you for dinner and drinks at the Portman Pub, 51 Upper Berkeley Street, Melbourne, London W1H7QW, from 8pm on Saturday, November the 14th. Dinner is priced at an excellent £35 for three courses, plus a £2 booking fee. So, if you would like to meet other Archer fans and me, head over to dumptydum.com and book your place now. Oh, I'll be the one in the gorilla suit. This is Dumpty on the show about the reality Dumpty drama centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm this dry sherry that is Royfield Brown and with my other curly ham sandwich that is... Lucy Freeman. And I've just dropped my mic. That was what that big bang was. Sorry. <laughs> And Hello. the last part of our funeral <laughs> tea is you. See, yes. Excited about the Dumbledum annual dinner with I our special am... guest Graham Seed, aka Nigel. Yes, I am. Why? Why are you excited about it? Because I love Nigel. What about Auntie Jean? And Auntie Jean. And Jojo Sexy Hills. And Jojo Sexy Hills. And all the other people that are booked. And all the other people are going. I think Sam's coming, isn't she? She's already booked. Yes. In fact, oh. I think she was the very first person to book about oh. five minutes after I put the link up. How many people have we got now then? Um, five. N- no, <laughs> more people. than that. More than that. So people need to get onto dumdydum.com and they need to book their place. It's going to run out fast because we're not having just, they're not, you can't fit hundreds into this room. It's like tens of lots of people. So it's going to be intimate bijou and you'll get to meet Graham. He's coming Boner. as well. Sorry. 
What did you say? I said boner, not that sort of boner. You said intimate bijou, which reminded me of jewel and sand. Never mind. Carry on. What? They they talk about boners? No, not that. It's boner, Polari boner. Oh, Polari, the, the language of the gay is of so... Yes. Mm. Okay. We should talk about Polari in one episode. Well, it's not relevant to the archers, is it? As far as I know, nobody has ever taught Polari in the archers. But somebody like Nelson would have be would have known. He would have understood it, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we can make a neat segue. Yeah. Mm. I think we just have. We have, haven't we? <laughs> Dinner is priced at £35 with a £2 booking fee. And to book your place, you need to pre-order by booking online on dumptydum.com. Now, so go do it pronto. And it's going to be fun. And it's going to be nice to see you and, and to hang out with uh, Graham. So that'd be smashing. Today's Dumpty Dum is from James, who does even the twiddly bit. So well done, James. <laughs> People don't normally do that, do they? No, he went the extra mile. They, didn't he just, didn't he just? People just expire after the first like, <laughs> phrase, don't they? Normally? I think they panic that they're going to forget the rest <laughs> and just think, I'll stop, I'll stop. <laughs> James, we salute you, sir. Lucy, mm-hmm. can you remind our listeners how they can win the accolade of dum de dumber of the week. Yes, if you would like to sing us a Dumpty Dum, give us a plot prediction or dither about going to Oxford, ring us on 0203 or leave us a message on SpeakPipe. Uh, thanks to Lovely Shambridges for her amazing voices, to Cosmo for his podcast roundups and to Sarah Smith for sponsoring us. Thanks also to Derek for the back bedroom. Derek doesn't think that Phoebe should go to Oxford either. He went. He said the traffic was awful, so he suggests Bista Shopping Village instead. <laughs> or the factory outlet bit. Yes, yeah, absolutely. On this week's show, we have calls from Claire from Scotland Bar Canada, who understands Chris. Andrew Horn, an ex-Bullingdon Club member who defends Oxford types. <laughs> I, might, I might have slightly lied there. Um, <laughs> Julie, a first-time caller in her, who has various things to mull over. Glenn Fullerlove, who wonders how Rob sees himself with a spoon, who is mourning the cattle. Maurice Snell, who knows who does Jennifer's Lady Garden. And Jacqueline Berto, who wants a female villain, but first... Before all the juicy caller in a and a little bit of sideway chat from your two hosts, it's Lucy V. Freeman and a week in Ambridge. Phoebe is fed up with Kate going on about yurts and Alex is fed up with Phoebe going on about Oxford. Phoebe, listen to me. Do not let someone who says something stop you from going to Oxbridge. Kate has offered Phoebe a job as Yurt Master in Chief. She was unsurprisingly <laughs> underwhelmed, but then Roy won the Father of the Year award by talking a great deal of sense to Phoebe, who will hopefully tell Alex, aka Titchy Knob Minor, to shove his lack of ambition up his ass. Uh, quick update in case any of you were wondering, Rex has not been sniffing around Gemma Hawkins, but Jennifer's out of hummus. More news as we get it. Uh, Ruth sorted out the funeral. I'm not made of glass, you know, said Ruth. It's probably because she keeps going on about being shattered. Ha <laughs> ha. Ruth mm-hmm. reminisced at me mother's funeral about the happy days when they decorated the back garden with loo roll. It's just not a funeral without a hilarious lavatory based anecdote. I've always said it. Uh, good news and bad news for the junior branch of the Grundy mm-hmm. clan. Emma is taking over as the Grundy's digital media manager and has resigned from her post as cleaner at Brooker's. No more washing Josh's sticky seats and mopping up David's dribble from when he's nodded off in his chair for Emma. She has her sights set on higher things, posting lots of pictures of herself pouting in a tracksuit next to a dead turkey. In other news, Ed's bullocks have been shoplifted. Someone's shoved them up their (laughs) jumper and made off with them. 
Ed always answers the phone as if someone's just peed in his wellies until he has some really bad news. Then he answers it with all the joviality of a children's TV presenter to emphasise the bad news when it comes. Fallon and Emma have some bizarre ideas for the Bridge Farm Cafe. Constantly shifting furniture. You get your tea, turn around, your chair's gone and you're sitting on a vintage sewing machine. The fair brethren are looking for a plucking device. The Grundys have got one called Clary. Maybe you could borrow that. It's a bit old and knackered and it makes funny groaning noises every now and again, but it's been going strong for years. Uh, Toby's got bored of the geese now and he wants to do cows. Rex wants to have ducks. Honestly, it's like they've got a Fisher-Price My Little Farm set, but they keep losing bits down the back of the sofa. Surely, chaps, you should be concentrating on the fact that you've got 742 gigantic geese running around a pen that's too small for them. And so far, you've sold three and one of them's looking shaky. I can see a Fair Brother Grundy merger coming along as neither of them are going to be able to shift enough stock. Fair Grundy Enterprises. Fair Grundy Attraction. I am a marketing genius and should be employed by Clary to take photographs of her squabbling grandchildren. Toby seems to think along similar lines to Eddie. I've had a brilliant idea based on no business sense whatsoever. Uh, Helen had a meeting with her fantastically unprofessional 12-year-old doctor. I had no idea that the Hippocratic Oath included attempting to flirt with the pregnant woman's husband. For one blissful minute, Titchy Knob left the room and I thought, No! Tell the doctor you feel threatened! But no, she just muttered away listlessly and I kicked another hole in the door. We were then treated to the world's second worst job interview ever. Mike talking to Charlie Barber's spreadsheet and telling him that none of the 17 failed businesses he'd had were anything like Barrow Farm. What more of a recommendation <laughs> do you need? Joe is now the official spooky bullshit peddler at Lower Loxley. He is going to frighten the punters with fabricated stories of the Lower Loxley ghosts. And with an unearthly scream, he hit the patio. And that was the end of Nigel Pargeter. Oh, blimey. Kenton, the fun fascist, has recovered sufficiently, sadly, to unearth his flipping megaphone and organise a Halloween party. Spooky food and probably some sort of terrible game, which involves Kenton making terrible puns. As if visiting a collapsing pub wasn't scary enough. Kenton dropped himself in the cart by announcing that he had benignly sat and watched the robber men steal Ed's cattle. Knowing Kenton, he probably helped them up the ramp into the truck. Quick, let Jenny <laughs> Darling Clouseau know and she can track them down, interview them, and then decide that actually they're terribly nice people and really rather brave, Brian. Then we had a lovely trip with Ruth and David to inspect what a bedroom looked like without a bed in it. So that was nice. I'm not sure I can listen to another scene of Ruth crying in an empty room, to be honest. Let's go back to Eddie's ringtone. I like that better. The end. Oh, well done. Thanking you all. You were quite brusque this week. You did that at Clip Lucy. Well, you said you had things to do. You're right. I do. I, I, I do. But that doesn't mean that I need to put pressure on you to gallop through your monologue, though. You know, I never need any encouragement to speak fast. I, sp I speak <laughs> like someone that's on double, sp double speed anyway, when you play back, you know, YouTube or something. Mm. Ugh. Why, why are we playing this back on YouTube as opposed to I don't know. iTunes you know I mean. or Stitcher or Acast or any other pod service that people have? I don't know. It was the first thing that came into my head because I've just been looking at YouTube. Mm. Okay. All right. Um, so any thoughts and feelings uh, on anything you'd like to talk about? In yes, the last seven I am Ooh, extremely right. cross with Peggy Woolley. Uh, because she's uh, a mean-spirited old bag. She is a patronising cow. And she's blind. Oh, family blind. How... I was so angry. Sorry, I am really exercised about this. How mm. dare she say about Phoebe going to Oxbridge? She said, oh, well, isn't it funny? The idea of Phoebe going to... Because, you know, Roy is such a plodder. 
So she certainly doesn't get it from him. You know, as if, well, we never we were all surprised when Roy even got to university. I love the way she, Roy has got a daughter that he's got two children, both of whom he, you know, is an excellent father to. He's talked more sense into Phoebe in two minutes than all the bollocks Kate comes out with for six months. Kate doesn't have a job. She's supported entirely by family money. She's never earned her own money. She's she's her marriage has broken down. She's, um, you know, gone through infidelity and, and all this stuff. And what the hell does Peggy think makes her so special just because she's her granddaughter? How dare you describe somebody as a plodder? When actually they're just a, a, quite a nice, straightforward bloke trying to do their best and, you know, getting things wrong rather than swanning around thinking that they're the bloody centre of the universe like Kate does. Mm. It was a bit of a shit thing to say. It was horrible. And it just shows what a bloody fantasy world she lives in. I mean, the fact that she's Rob's greatest fan tells us all we need to know really about her, um, you know, her ability to, to, to judge people because she didn't even have the vague warning um, the vague warning alarm that Pat got initially, um, you know, even though that seems to disappeared now. But, you know, she's she's she. she oh, I just cannot bear her. And then ringing Rob to find out what's wrong with Helen. Well, that in and of itself isn't that unusual. It's just that we all hate Rob. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true, I suppose. But oh, I don't. She's just such a cow. She really is. And she's created this mess of a family she's got pretty much. There's no acknowledgement that they're all a disaster. But she was the one who shouted at... That's um, harsh. Debbie's not a disaster. No, that's true. But she's not... But Neither's Adam. Mm, right then. But... Nor Alice. All right. Kate, then. Shut up. But... Tom's she, redeeming himself. She, she was the one... <laughs> Peggy was the one who had a big Helen, go... she's the only one that's a disaster. And Kate... Little Johnny's okay. Well, we don't know, do we? He's okay. He swings between being Mr. Sensitive and then being Mr. Rob. So you can't really tell. But when you said he swings, was that pertaining to his swing bowling technique, which he honed yes. through Rob's guidance? Yes, obviously. Was really? Obvs, yes. Mm. Um, but Peggy was the one who had a go at Kate, didn't she? And said, you know, you're a, you're a, you're a useless lump of flesh. And uh, and everybody went hurrah, and now she's conveniently forgotten that and saying, "Oh yes, well you know it's all it's all you know poor old Roy the plodder, you know who accidentally uh, sired this this very nice, polite, hardworking, and intelligent young woman." And you think, well, it, she didn't get, she wasn't brought up by Kate, so she didn't get it from her. It's you know nurture, not nature. She got it from Haley and Roy. Who you who she would dismiss as boring and a bit you know a bit pedestrian and not rich enough and a bit ugh, horrible old binches. Ugh. Right, that's it. I've finished now. <sighs> right, have you? Have you? Are you kind of like purged. venomless now? I'm purged. You're purged are yeah, you? yeah. Well done. It'll well all done. be it'll all be flowers and butterflies. So can we get in. back to like bum jokes now? Yeah, yeah. So now we've got your kind of race, not race. Sorry, class. Race. Sorry. <laughs> Class bit of baiting ire out of your out of your system. Yeah. Mm, all right, all right, great. So, um, shall we just nip onto the calls? Because I, I I've got a sneaky feeling, right, that anybody winds you up again, I'll have nothing to say in this whole episode. <laughs> It'll just be just you going <laughs> all the way through, won't it? Sorry, I know it's, it's for entertaining listeners. People like a passionate podcaster. 
Hello, Ambridge 3962. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Claire from Scotland via Canada here, ringing to talk about the Chris because it's been niggling me that we're so hard on her on the podcast, much as I love it. And I was thinking about her because I was talking to my grandmother, and she suddenly said, as we got towards the end of the conversation, I hope you never feel you've lived too long. I sometimes feel I've lived too long. And she's not my grandmother geographically isolated. She's got all her grandchildren and all her children within walking distance of her, and they do frequently visit, except the ones in Scotland. And she still said, I sometimes feel I've lived too long. And I thought, once we'd rung off, and I was in the middle of doing something perfectly ordinary. That's really Auntie Chris, isn't it? She feels she's lived too long. And she is surrounded by family and friends she cares about, but I think there's still a sense of a lot of the things that made her Chris and energetic and actively engaged with light in a way that wasn't just scones and crosswords are very far in the past. Claire from Scotland via Canada. This was, yes, this, well, I hadn't thought of this, actually. Claire, you make very good points, my love. Um, Auntie Chris saying, uh, you know, you can live too long, you know. And um, that's what Claire thinks, that, that Chris is at that stage, that she's now surrounded by people who she can't be relevant for anymore. Um, and yes, I do see, I do see what she means. I, I, yeah, it's it's made me feel guilty. Again, I'm always feeling guilty because I'm being horrible about people and then make people say, yes, but think of it like this. And I think, oh God, I'm such a horrible old cow. Um, I remember my auntie saying to me, don't ever worry about when you're, uh, don't ever worry about dying. Because she said, when you, you, you know, you get to a point where it's not frightening anymore because you understand that it's, it's almost welcome. Sorry, this is jolly, isn't it? Uh, but anyway, yeah. I saw my uncle Pedro in care home yesterday, and he's got dementia, and it was a, a very kind of sad, mm. sad thing. Yes, I went with my dad and a couple of uh, r- random cousins that I barely know how I'm related to them, um, but I don't think you can ever live too long. Because even what I took out of that hour that we spent with him and the poor, poor bloke was just like staring off into the distance and was the fact that I met these two random cousins that I don't really know how I'm related to them. You know, one of them is 90. And I also saw how wonderful the care home staff were and it absolutely reaffirmed my... um, belief in kind of humanity the fact that we you know we went there to see a family member who doesn't know who we are you know he just lives completely in that moment and and it was sad but actually even just the fact I was going to see him told us lots about humanity which was positive so I completely disagree I don't care how long you live you just live your life and uh, you can always take good from that Mm. sorry it's all right you won't be popping off to dignitas then well i'm gonna massively it might sound like a massive con- contradiction now but because you but you've got a thing about aging haven't you um here's a massive contradiction right if i have some debilitating disease or condition yeah i think yeah i'll nip along to dignitas however i wouldn't force that on anybody mm. right and i can see 
the the beauty, the joy, the the poignancy, the whatever the words are, and the English language is fra- uh, is, is um, you know is failing me now in in a life, you know. And I say I looked at my Uncle Pedro. My Uncle Pedro is such a lovely guy, and um, little, little small guy, like like to rum, liked a little bit of a dance. Always had a little twinkle in his eye, and that twinkle is so gone, so gone, Aww. you know. And my dad. Um, you know, went up to him and says, hello, Pedro. And he kind of half recognised my dad. Mm. And he had to introduce us all. And he just kind of looked and he, he shook everybody by the hand and then he just sat down. And, you know, after 10 minutes of trying to get sense out of him, you know, you, you, you kind of gave up. Yeah, but and you, everyone but, just starts talking amongst themselves, don't yeah, they? But... But, but, even, but that's what he did. Yeah. He brought together... Uh, a whole group, of, you know, a group of people from this small village in Jamaica who were sat in Birmingham. And then I say the care home assistants were amazing. They absolutely were amazing. And we all got a cup of tea and we said we'd like a cup of tea to, to Uncle Pedro and he d- didn't acknowledge it. Care assistants, they knew how to deal with him. Mm. Come on, Pedro, you need your cup of tea. And he went, OK, you know, and gave him his biscuit and whatever. And, and, he, and, he, and he sat and drank it and whatever. They, they were just amazing, I, I, you know. And uh, no, I, I couldn't disagree more. Anyway, uh, this isn't Philosopher's Corner. So <laughs> <laughs> Life, best... death and the archers, yes. Yeah, we best move on to another call. <laughs> Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glenn here calling into my favourite podcast from the Derbyshire Dales. Uh, I want to talk about Rob and a very clever piece of script writing uh, early this week. Um, it was when he was um, dissing Emma's ideas on the um, farm shop, uh, the, the tea shop in the farm shop, to, to Helen. I thought it was very clever because we all know that he was dissing her ideas because he wants, uh, it's part of his control strategy over Helen and dividing her from her friends and uh, family. But the points he made were actually quite sensible. We've got quite a few farm shops around here uh, in Derbyshire and quite a few of them have tea shops. Most of the ones I can think of, the tea shops and the farm shops, are decorated <clears throat> in the same in the same way, and it's obvious why. Because after you know, a ramble out on the out on the moors or whatever, you go into the uh, tea shop and have a nice piece of cake or a nice cup of tea, and then think, oh, they've got a shop next door. The food in here is nice. Let's go next door and get something for tea. But if the um, tea shop and the farm shop seem to come from completely different places, decorated in completely different ways, you might think, oh, well, this place is nice, but looks like that place over there is run by somebody else, so we won't bother. We'll just have the uh, frozen pizza and oven chips instead. So I think his comments were quite sensible, and hats off to the scriptwriters for wrapping that uh, up in uh, another piece of Rob nastiness, because uh, if Helen... Uh, relays that conversation to any of her friends, so they might well say, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? My other thought about Rob was, how does he see himself? So if we look at other Ambridge villains like um, Hazel Woolley or Clive Horobin, I'm sure they've got enough self-awareness, cardboard cutouts as they are, to recognise they're not certainly angelic, um, angelic creatures. I'm sure Hazel thinks, yeah, I'm out for everything I, I can get, but that's the way life is, and and sod the rest of you but i suspect rob actually thinks of himself as being quite a nice bloke glenn fuller love wants to know how rob sees himself that is a very good question and i 
So I was thinking about this and I mm. think that I think he sees himself, I think Rob sees himself as the only one that can really see what is going on because he's a narcissist. He can see all the, he thinks I'm surrounded by all these little people and it's up to me to lead them because I am inherently better than them. Uh, so it's, I am, one of the things they would say about people with narcissistic personality disorder is that they are outside of, they, the normal rules do not apply. And they say, well, I'm different, aren't I? You know, the normal rules don't apply, which is why he's allowed to break. He, in his mind, it's perfectly OK for him to, you know, cheat or whatever to win um, and not have a job and, you know, not even look for one to, you know, to just manipulate everything to get the best solution for him out of it. Um, and I think that's genuinely what he thinks, that he thinks he is genuinely superior to everybody around him. And... Uh, and he gets very, very uh, malicious when or, and, and threatening when, when, when somebody threatens that worldview. No, I think that's spot on. I absolutely agree. But also what, what I'd really like to back Glenn's call is the fact that he is calling up um, some of the clever plot devices which the script writers have actually thrown into the whole kind of Rob thing. Now, it has to be said that when he had his rant about um, Fallon's tea shop, and there's that great line about um, it's going to be a whole load of junk with Earl Grey tea. Yeah. I I thought, oh, that's just bang out of order. It is their concession. They can do whatever they want. However, he made, he made a really good point that actually it does make a certain amount of sense that that tea shop um, in large part is in keeping with the rest of the farm shop. Mm. And, um, and then also... Um, and I did mention this some time ago, saying that actually Rob is a somewhat capable manager. Now, he might not be the best person to to work for because he has this kind of overbearing sense of self. And, you know, he will. And I think I said he, he might, um, you know, he'll bark orders as opposed to, you know, being like a kind of consultative boss. But things are going to hell in a handbasket over at Barrow Farm. And it's not by accident that this is when when Rob is gone. Um, and, I, and I'm slightly jumping forward to Sunday's episode, which I know we're not really supposed to talk to, but this was mentioned last week, that I think it's another instance where um, he isn't just um, all bad, all mm. evil. Yet, yes, he is vis-a-vis -vis Helen, but actually he's a somewhat capable uh, mm. project manager, which is what we said before, wasn't it some, some weeks ago, that he can look at a spreadsheet he, you know, he, he's got his manner is not nice, but he leaves Barrow Farm and then uh, old Charlie can't cope. And, and all the all the cows are dying of anthrax or whatever the heck mm. they're dying of, you know. So but anyway, again, it's just very clever mm. uh, for the writers to kind of throw that in that um, when it comes to his 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 dealings with Helen, the man is evil incarnate. Uh, when it comes to him and most other people, he's not great. But actually, he can get a job done. But also, to, to, for him not to sort of um, bust his own faux identity wide open, he has to do it within the context of reasonableness, doesn't he? He can't mm. just go stomping around saying, Helen, I don't want you to work because I want to be in control of you. He has to say, Helen, you are pregnant. Therefore, I have to look after you in the way I'm looking after you. I only want to care for you, darling. Da, 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 da. Mm. Um, you know, it has to be within the confines of something that makes 
it's like when you when, when we write gags we say there's a, a logic slip there's there's got it's got to make logical sense otherwise you get what's called a ripple in the joke where you your brain goes eh? and and it's just quick but it's just enough to stop you laughing and it's mm. the same thing with with this it's got to be for it to sort of be as insidious as it is it's got to make sense on one level so that you can look at it and say no that's he's being he's being fun that's that's kind of that's reasonable that's a good point there's something that go that there's 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 an alarm bell going at the back of your mind where you think well yeah it is a good point but i don't like the way he did it or whatever um but that's it's got to be yeah it's just got to be within the context of reality mm. and 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 reasonableness yeah 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 and and you know, people have said this on 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 the Twitters and on the forum and on and on this show, that you know the great thing about this storyline is the fact that it's all so believable, mm. and and it just shows it, it kind of shows in sharp kind of contrast, you know, the the two D nature of, of of a Hazel Woolley, and the other kind of perceived villains. But then again, I think I'm then butting onto another call. Then aren't I know. Yes, who's I've gone blank. Jacqueline Berto. Oh, yes, Jacqueline. Hello, Jacqueline Berto from San Gwen in France here. I have to admit to a certain shudder of horror when I heard Phoebe's boyfriend trying to dissuade her from applying to Oxford. Even if we didn't have the Titchinob story, I would have felt just the same. It got me thinking, though. Apart from Hazel Woolley, we don't have many villainous female characters or many female characters with villainous traits got a gossip and stuff backbiting occasionally but in my experience no matter where you are in the world people uh, women sorry can be extremely bitchy and very villainous so in the interest of balance maybe the writers should think about adding a female rob stroke alex character or situation on another note i'm really sorry i won't be able to make the graham seed soiree but I'm looking forward to maybe meeting some of you in Muriel in March next year. Keep up the good work, you guys. Bye. She says, where are the nasty women? Apart from Hazel. Don't know. <laughs> well, at the moment, we're also concentrated on the big arch enemy, that is Rob, um, that we've sort of forgotten no, it, to look it, anywhere true. for anyone else, haven't we? We have Kate Aldrich, who we love to hate, but she's not a villain, villain no you know you no. just she just gets up your nose but for a while you know linda snell was before we all sort of warmed to her she was always the one that went around saying no you know she was always the one opposing everything and never actually doing anything constructive just marching around telling everybody what they could and couldn't do mm. and for a while she wasn't at all uh, well, uh, as nice a, a friendly character as she is now well i think i said said a couple of months ago that i I was going to say despised is despised is completely too strong a word, but yeah, I didn't like her for maybe about the first seven eight years when when she came into it. She was just totally totally annoying. Um, but and I think and I, I could be wrong here. This is where we need a Cosmo. I think it was the Christmas play because she always, you know, that was her thing from day one, wasn't it? And I think it was kind of the Christmas play that where she. Um, in effect, has wheedled her way into everyone's kind of affections, and people have said, "Actually, we see her, see her worth." Because yours was a job's worth. Yours was, you know, you know, I'll organise this and whatever. And you thought, who is this woman yeah. who's only yeah. been in the village, like, yes. for, you know, for three minutes, and she'd been there already for like eight years, you know, wanting to organise everything. 
but yes, so I, I kind of agree. But yeah, we, we do need, well, I suppose, you know, we talk about the fact that this thing is somewhat kind of, uh, when it's written well, is very much kind of close to life. How many villains do we actually know in, in, in real life? People are, for the most part, fundamentally good. Yeah. Which is the reason why we turn to these things, actually, to, to see the odd kind of shit bag and boo and hiss and then throw throw rotten through of our digital radios, I suppose. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. I've lost myself now. Oh, Me there we too. go. <laughs> Help! If you know where we are. If you aren't sent in a postcard with advice for Lucy and Royfield on how to get out of the sentence they've just got themselves into. Uh, with a spoon. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, Lucy Royfield and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. There's an autumn chill in the air in New York, and I think it's the same in Middle England as it's not been a very happy time in Ambridge. I'd called this week three funerals and an unwanted pregnancy. First, the one actual documented funeral, that of Heather. I thought it was a lovely service, and I was moved by the poem that Pip read. This was followed by Ruth's outpourings of guilt, both after the service and the following day as she looked upon the room without a bed. Some may feel that Ruth's episodes of self-flagellation are OTT, but we did get some insight into her intrapsychic issues when she and Rex shared with each other last week, and after all, she is allowed to mourn. In fact, mourning is not considered pathologic unless it extends six or more months past the death of the loved one. So I'm willing to be patient, at least for a while. Second funeral. Actually, we don't know it for a fact, but Ed noted that his cattle have probably already been turned into beef burgers. My sympathy for the Grundies is quite high right now. Cattle rustlers, fair brethren, having to learn all about social media, and dastardly Rob undermining the dreams of a quaint country cafe co-run by Emma. And soon they're going to be chucked out of their home by Hazel. They're like the British version of the Jode family, on their way from Oklahoma to California during the Dust Bowl to pick grapes. Third funeral. Well, we don't know if there are any dead cows, but I'm referencing the scene of Sodom and Gomorrah at Barrow Farms. This will not sit very well with Charlie's boss slash possible stepfather, Mr. Justin Elliott. Would this have happened if Rob were still at the helm? Or did Rob indeed have something to do with it? And is Rob involved with the cattle rustlers? Just some idle speculation. Now, on to the unwanted pregnancy. Helen certainly hasn't been brimming with excitement since she found out the news. And what kind of initial midwife assessment did you call that, Ellie? And why do you sound so much like Nurse Cynthia from Call the Midwife? Seriously, a clinician is trained to ask provocative questions about topics such as abuse in a neutral, straightforward manner to elicit the most honest response, not to beat around the bush in an anxious fashion. And if Rob hadn't gotten a call and decided to make some coffee, would she have ever asked him to leave the room? And all that fawning over him? Ay, ay, ay. One last thing. Thank goodness Phoebe decided to stand up to Rob Jr., I mean Alex, and submit her Oxford application. If she hadn't, I'd have been the first one on the telephone shouting at Sean O'Connor. Angus and I will close with a follow-up to Pip's reading, with a portion of one of my favorite Burt Backrack Hal David songs, A House is Not a Home. This one's for you, Ruth. A room is still a room, even when there's nothing there but gloom. 
but a room is not a house, and a house is not a home, when the two of us are far apart, and one of us has a broken heart. Till next week, my friends, it's Witherspoon and Angus, Agus, signing off. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Sorry for the Grundy's Sodom and Gomorrah at Barrow Farm. Yes, there is. As ye reap, so shall ye sow. No, no, no doubt that Joe is going to come up with all that. Um, did I reckon that somebody, that it might have been a bit of sabotage by Rob? No. 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 Okay. Just because, actually, no. If he does, if he does do something like that, he can't resist telling somebody because he's so full of himself and he has gives his little chuckle. Ha ha ha! Well, I think Charlie might find he's got slightly more, to, and then he'll wish that he did have a response manager there. But blah, 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 you know, mm. he, he wouldn't be able to resist making Helen complicit in it, would he? Mm. Agreed. So, what do you think's happened? Anthrax. I just think that you needed a manager. I haven't heard fit. last night, so I don't. All I know is okay. that all, all, right. all I know is that Charlie, the, cows, the, the world's the worst job interview was have, cut short. The cows are dropping like flies. Right, don't um, don't tell me because then it will ruin it for the people okay. that haven't heard. It. All right, okay. So, um, but there's clearly something I, wrong, isn't there? Yeah. What is needed mm. on such an intensive and such a large scale industry uh, operation? is somebody who has their eye on the detail of the husbandry of the cattle. Right. The fact that Rob has gone, that has been missing. And Charlie has been doing, you know, all of the office type stuff and hasn't had his eye on the cattle. It's as simple as that. And But if you get anthrax in the grass... Well, I, I'm not saying it is anthrax. Unless you're I, testing. I, I, said, I said anthrax because I, that just sounds like a dreadful... Well, that's what Joe says, isn't it? It sounds like something from, you know, the living dead, sort of walking dead mm. sort of thing. Ah, especially as he could put another couple of million A's in it. Anthrax! <laughs> it, just, it just goes to show that Rob... Or a... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Person like Rob was needed at Barrow and Charlie has not replaced him. And this is the thing. We always say that, you know, Charlie is a great administrator and actually he's not. No. Because he threw at uh, he threw at Rob the fact that figures went down and Rob actually reminded him, uh, do you remember the flood? Yeah. And he went, oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And he then has walked. Uh, um, they have a Barney. Rob walks off. And as Witherspoon said, Charlie did not cover himself in any glory in that conversation. Right. He went in there hard. Um, yes, Charlie, uh, Rob overreacted. Charlie hasn't got great person skills when it comes to business and hasn't had the foresight actually to replace Rob. Hence, all these cattle affording like flies. Mm. It's going to hell in the handbasket. Mm. Can't remember what the question was. Does it, I mean, does it make sense to you that Mike is coming back to work in Barrow Farm in the village he moved out of? No. No. The hell is going on? Mm. That's just nonsense, isn't it? Because... He's now and, going to be commuting. He's doing shifts. Uh, listen, it makes no sense. They've never exactly said how far Birmingham is away from no. from Ambridge. So it's somewhat an elastic thing. But you've got to think it must be at least 20 miles. Yeah. Right. But they're and, always very careful not to be specific, aren't they? Because when yeah. you have somebody saying, Mum, it's not the other side of the world. It's only Birmingham. And then you've got all that way. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the next, the next thing you think, well... Elastic Birmingham that kind of just mm-hmm. moves around. Hey, I tell you something about what? Birmingham, right? Shocking, shocking, shocking. Uh, and I'm sorry for those listeners that say I like the sound of my own voice, right? But this is a, an absolutely pertinent segue in my own mind, right? So I'm writing this article for City Metric, which is a part of the New Statesman, about Birmingham, which is my my pet my pet subject in terms of the economic mismanagement and the town planning disaster that is Birmingham city centre. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. Now, as recently as 1965, Birmingham was richer per head of the population than London. Really? As recently as 1965, Lucy. Could have knocked me over the feather. When, when I read that, I went, no. I had to go and cross-reference it. Absolutely true. And this is how rich Birmingham was per head of the population. It was 13% richer per head of the population than London and the South East. Okay. Wow. Also, check this out. And most of that was Jack Woolley. <laughs> Absolutely. Also... Birmingham was that rich per head of the population. It was in the top five European cities for wealth. Really? At 1965. Unbelievable. And the city has fallen such a Mm. long way. And it was part of it was actually uh, a stated government policy to in the 1950s to restrict the growth of cities. And London suffered from this as well. So London... Uh, was uh, depopulated and there's the building of new towns, uh, Welling Garden City, et cetera, et cetera. That was all a very, a very deliberate thing and also letting people move to uh, to Essex 
Birmingham suffered from that it was more of a strategic thing with not um, allowing new industries actually to to move into the city. And then in my article, I'll contend that actually the the uh, the ring roads actually then decimated it. So 200,000 people left Birmingham and then Birmingham um, kind of uh, uh, in terms of GDP figures uh, kind of collapsed. Uh, and now. And I always put this in parentheses, they say it's one of the 10 most deprived uh, local authorities in the UK. And I put that in virtual parentheses because I don't believe that it is mm. uh, at all. But um, it's nowhere near, um, you know, top five in Europe. Mm. You know, it's just absolutely amazing in, in 50 years of, of relative stagnation. Mm. But anyway, Birmingham, place mm. I place I love. Mm. Mm. Right. Um, what's that got to do with the archers? Oh, it's somewhere close. But it does, exp it does explain how you have a lot of wealthy landowners around Birmingham, because I couldn't really understand that. Well, it's like all kind of major cities, isn't it, really? With the exception of London, is that um, it kind of stockbroker belt, isn't it? Where mm. people, you know, kind of, kind of travel in and, you know, you've got your Leamington Spas, you've got your Droitwiches, you've got all these rich towns, mm. um, you know, around it. And, and that is the traditional... English uh, model of an urban conurbation that uh, people wanted the good air mm. and, and and stayed there and then travelled in into the shit and the muck and and the yeah. steam and and you know and the coal dust uh, and made their money then kind of trotted back out yeah. and London is an anomaly in that it had this um, rich core well so to the we west. live where we work sort of thing it, it, exactly exactly they had that kind of rich core. Um, but anyway, uh, we, we, we're wittering and, and chuntering about stuff which is not <laughs> specifically to do with the uh, great world of uh, Ambridge and Borsetshire. Greetings, Earthlings. Andrew Horn here. And I'm a bit annoyed with the... In fact, I'm very annoyed with the way the um, plot is developing about uh, Oxford and Phoebe. I understand Alex wants to keep Phoebe there. He's a teenage boy with raging hormones. Enough said. But the fact that they're going on about, are you an Oxford type? Well, what is an Oxford type? Oxford is very competitive. It's the second ranked university in the world after the Californian Institute of Technology. And it gets there by selecting the best people. Look at their website, plenty of facts and figures. There are more than 56% from state schools. And even those from public schools are not the stereotype Bullingdon Club, Cameron Boris that the papers like to feature on. I was there in the mid 80s, a year ahead of Cameron and Boris, and the Bullingdon and that set didn't even feature. I didn't know anyone who knew them, didn't know anyone who behaved in that sort of uh, bride's head way. It just isn't there. I was in the minority, having been to a public school, but it didn't really matter. People are there to learn, to grow their minds, and Phoebe should just go for it. The hardest thing about Oxford is getting in. I'm going to stop ranting now. Andrew Horn is mm. um, annoyed with... An uh, ex-Bullingdon Club member. <laughs> Do you know how you can tell whether someone went to Oxbridge? How? Because they tell you in the first five minutes. That's um, not true. That is not true. <laughs> I know somebody who um, you wouldn't at all, not you wouldn't dream that, that she went, but actually she doesn't say it at all. She's absolutely completely embarrassed about the fact that she went. Well, that's I know two silly, people being like being embarrassed that. about it. Two, but for them, 
it's a bit of a political thing. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they were rubbing yeah. up with, with, with the enemy, so to yeah. speak, is where they would say it. Yeah. But anyway, go on. Um, I do think it's still a current stereotype, Andrew, though. I think, you know, he said, are you an Oxford person? And I think it's not it's not Oxford's fault. Um, but that stereotype is going to I know. And I know it's different. And I know that there are more state state school kids, state school children that go, young people that go. But that stereotype does is still very, very relevant. I don't think the scriptwriters have got that wrong. Um, I think. Even though everybody knows the facts, I think there's still that sort of hangover. And it's part of it for me still comes from the young ones and rah, 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 we're going to smash the oiks, you know. <laughs> I can still see uh, Emma Thompson and Stephen Fry being sort of um, had things thrown on them by, by um, Vivian and, and, uh, and, and Neil and everybody. So it, there's, there's that sort of um, hangover stereotype that I think that's going to take an awfully long time to shift. And I can completely see how a manipulative, manipulative little um hormonal bugger like alex who's thinking entirely through his trousers um can uh could you could use that to try and keep phoebe mm. in i did like the way she went yeah but felpersham uni and you could hear the lip <laughs> curl that was very good i thought don't stop guy don't not don't let don't listen to him the little mm. sod a lot of people on on social media have gone you know this is uh rob mark too yeah and on the face of it, you know, you could say that it's that, but he's I think not. he's just he's a not. little. He's just a kid. Yeah, he's a kid. And, and, saying... and he's feeling a bit of a twat because he's not going to university. He's going to go, and he's probably thinking, "Oh, I probably should have gone, maybe, and not just gone to work for my dad." You know, and so he's just, it's just what they do, isn't it? Just trying to stop everyone else doing. Well, it, it, it's it's not like even... the people that it... used to ring you up when you were revising and go, "Are you revising? Are you revising?" Because I'm not. I'm not revising at all. I'm not revising for biology. And then you go, "Well, won't you? Oh, I'll stop then." <laughs> yes, let's all fail. That'd be much better, wouldn't it? Well, I, I wouldn't even say that he even sees it as the fact that he's stopping her. He's seventeen, eighteen. He's in love for the first time. Yeah. It, it's that you know that any relationship when you're that age is the most important thing. Yeah. And you've well, that's got what Roy no... said, isn't it? Roy said, I know this feels to you like the most important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He did you know. a very good chat, I thought. He didn't he just. Yeah. Didn't and... he just. But do you know what I thought was really sweet? What's that? I hate her. But Phoebe. I'm a... No, I'm a cater hater. But when she went out onto the onto the terrace I to... tell you what, if you've seen her the picture I know, the she's plays gorgeous. There, you can't be a cater hater. No. <laughs> 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 She, um, Roy had done the big fatherly bit mm. and Phoebe had been offhand with her mother as she always is. Kate, I'm having a sandwich, Kate. Ooh, I can't believe there's a carcass in the fridge. Actually, it's delicious, she said. Just <laughs> <is> very good. <laughs> um, but uh, she'd had this heart to heart with Roy. It obviously sort of affected her. She'd done the driving with Roy. Kate's still feeling, you know, she's rejected Kate because Kate said, come and be my, you know, uh, rub people down with a wet loofah at the health centre and Phoebe said no and then she was standing out on the terrace thingy mm -hmm. and she was about to call Roy and say I've I've applied to Ox Oxford and Kate came out and said what are, you, what are you doing are you okay and she just shut down like she always does and said yeah I'm fine it's fine whatever and then Kate as Kate was going she said don't get cold she went in and I thought no matter what Kate does, really, and she does drive me to distraction, mm. 
Mm. She has got a genuine... You, you, that but no matter how much she tries to cloak it with narcissism and and and, and self-interest and selfishness and everything else there is a genuine mother mother's heart there you know don't get cold it's what you say and and you see mothers saying that to their children when their children are you know 50 or whatever mm. don't get cold will you standing up. oh no shut the door you'll let them what you know don't and it's that thing just i am worried about no, your no. physical safety i thought she that does, was really sweet she genuinely loves phoebe yeah and you you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's uh, a mother's love, but I'm saying that really from a traditional point of view, which is probably actually really wrong. But you, she, Kate takes on everybody. She's adversarial with everybody. She doesn't see it as such. She sees it as I'm departing wisdom and knowledge because yeah. I actually know better than you. Yeah. But she doesn't mm. with Phoebe. She absolutely doesn't. Phoebe is the one person who will slap her down repeatedly and she'll just take that slap down. Yeah. She, you know, she listens to it, listens to it and she might say, oh, Phoebe, but, but that's yeah. it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, she'll absolutely fight her corner with, with Brian, with Jennifer, with Roy, with Roy, she's absolutely venal and hateful. Yeah. yeah. Hello, Maurice Snell here or John V. Last time I called, which was the first time I called, either my recording stopped early or it was long and got edited. So nothing I said had any Archer's relevance. So I'll make my Archer's point first. Just before I listened to last week's Dumpty Dum, I was catching up on some August 2013 episodes of The Archers on my laptop in a hotel the other side of the world. And to answer your question about Jenny Darling's gardener, well, there was a whole mini plot about it um, back then. So the gardener's called Simon. He had a bad back. And when Jenny was talking to Brian about it, he was going to be off for a whole nother month. Brian refused to help. So Jenny was uh, complaining in the shop to Susan about it and also saying how only the roses were looking good enough to enter the flower and produce show. Susan had the great idea to get one of Home Farm's uh, summer fruit pickers to help in the garden. So Christian was given the job and he mowed the lawn. He was asked to spray the roses, but due to a language mishap, he sprayed the roses with weed killer. Uh, Jenny tried to wash it off with water, but it was too late and the roses were ruined. So, yeah, Jenny definitely does have a gardener and he was called Simon in 2013. And uh, one other quick thing, because you were talking about uh, growing watermelons with alcohol last week. Now, I haven't tried that. But what I can recommend is upending a bottle of alcohol, could be wine, vodka, whatever you like, uh, and putting it into the top of a watermelon. So you need to cut out a little hole the size of the top of the bottle, uh, prop up the watermelon and prop up the bottle sticking out of the top of it. Leave it for a good 12, if not 24 hours, and the alcohol will very, very slowly seep into the watermelon. And it makes a great combination. Um, and Morris Snell, last mm. but not least, lovely Morris Snell, said that Jenny Darling does have a gardener. And this is an entire storyline I had completely forgotten about. She had a gardener called Simon in 2013 who had a bad back... And so on someone else's advice, she got uh, one of the pickers to do the garden and they ruined the roses by spraying them with weed killer, not fertiliser or whatever. I do vaguely remember that. I remember that joke or that 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 happening. But um, I don't remember. I don't remember anything about it. And who does it now then? Is it more pickers or something? No. I presume Simon's back. Uh, back. Um... <laughs> Simon's to back. Former yeah. glory. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that was. Yes. Very strange.
Anyway, thank you for sorting that out, Morris. You're very kind. But I like the way he said, um, I just happened to be listening to some back episodes. <laughs> From 2013. <laughs> oh, and Julie. Sorry, you are not last but not least, Morris. And neither are you, Julie. I'm muddling everybody up. Hello, Royfield and Lucy. This is Julib, at Julib15 on the Twitter sphere. And I'm a first-time caller in era. I'm a manager of a small charity for blind and partially sighted people. And I've been an Archer's addict for about 10 years. And the first main storyline I listened to was Ruth's dalliance with Sam the Cowman. And I've been following Dumpty Dum podcast from around episode 22-23. A few things that I thought I would call in about. When Ruth opened Heather Pet's suitcase, I was rather hoping that she would find Heather's six-month supply of tenor pads which Ruth could then have passed on to David for Jill. And that may have stemmed her flow of verbal diarrhoea about moving to Lower Loxy. Hey-ho, what else? The Robin Heather situation. I agree with others who have said, where's Ian? He's supposed to be Helen's best friend, so where is he? But he would surely have noticed the change in her by now. And I think that Krusty will be the one to notice. But I also think that Rob will soon cotton on to this. However, having listened to the Omnibus edition this morning, perhaps the midwife will come to Helen's aid. Surely she must be trained in these kind of things and the signs to look out for. So who knows? More to come, I guess. And here's my plot prediction. Rob's already said that Heather's working really hard with the shop and that's why uh, she was looking a bit peaky. I suspect... Helen may have a miscarriage. And then Rob will throw that back at Helen, as in, I told you you were working too hard, you've killed my son. Because, of course, we do know it's a boy, don't we? She says, where is Ian? Why is Helen not talking to Ian? But Helen already knows that Rob and Ian don't get on. And when you're in the position Helen is in, you don't want to... She knows, I think, that Ian would say, how are you getting on? How is Rob? How is the... Da, da, da? And she's frightened of saying anything. So she's doing the classic thing of just isolating herself and thinking, I can manage this. Or, you know, if I just try harder, somehow this will be OK. And she's she's sort of isolating herself as well as letting him isolate her. <clears throat> she's choosing to isolate herself. Mm. So, yeah. So Ian is nowhere because she's not going to talk to him because she sees him as somebody who will threaten her stability however shaky that stability is no Ian is nowhere because um, as well written as this has been in terms of the personal dynamic between Rob and Helen it's badly written in terms of the uh, the social network around her they've just forgotten Ian uh, it's as simple as that yeah because Ian would be at least calling texting yeah. something yeah. he would he would and, and she hasn't even told him that she's pregnant but then she's not telling anybody, is she? Because she doesn't really want to be pregnant. No. If she is. If she is at all. If she is yes. At all. That that doctor's interview was one of the worst things I've ever heard. That was ridiculous. Really? Yeah. You don't. It was. It was just. Just wasn't like. I mean, they did. Worse did than the Kirsty's interview. interview with the health. Well, yeah, yeah. interview. Yeah, I suppose there was Mike's interview, <coughs> Kirsty's interview, and now the doctor. But it just broke so many rules of how you do it. You don't. You know, she did 
that you do they do as a, as part of policy now they do ask you the domestic violence question um you know which which is quite right um <coughs> but then to say oh you're so lucky are there any more at home like you i thought do you don't say you don't it's just completely inappropriate you don't you don't pass a comment on somebody's you know uh the person that's just fathered the child you know when they're standing there it's just it's just wildly inappropriate and very strangely done really i t- listen i take it on your say so it's a long time since i was in, in that situation it was a long time no. since i was but i still remember <laughs> it not the only funny thing i remember about um i had a very funny well she's funny now she wasn't bloody funny then um a very scary jamaican midwife mm. who uh when she came to see until and i came home she came to see me here and um, she looked at Tilly and um, she was holding her and she was just rich. She's one of those old Jamaican ladies that don't smile. They're just terrifying. And she just went, hmm, she's very beautiful. And I went, oh, and she said, yes, your husband must be good looking. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) And there am I, cesarean scar, weeping, you know, feeling just like I've just been backed over by a truck and there's this woman saying to me oh god she was great anyway. <laughs> and I said um uh when I got pregnant with William they said have you got any particular preference and I said please don't let me have Mrs whatever it was again no not her <laughs> I tell you when, when my little boy was born it was a rather long labor and um the doc said to his mom he said, right, so you've been here for what, like 30 hours, right? One last push. If he doesn't come out, we're going to have to cut him out. And she just pushed like her life depended on it. And, and the boy came out and, 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 and he came out and I looked at him. I've never seen a head so long, Lucy. <laughs> right. And I looked at my son. And it's I a like, horse. <laughs> I said to myself. Holy Jesus! Right, I'm gonna to have to love this for the next twenty years. We kept the and, receipt. And it's I looked all at one of the wrong. nurses, and she obviously saw this kind of look on my face, and she went, "It's because his head's been in the birth canal, sir." <laughs> and I went, "Oh yes, of course." He's not a Venusian. <laughs> Don't worry. And I and I picked him up, and and then um, and she cleaned him off. Uh, mum gave me a little bit of a kiss and a hug and uh, and my and my family were waiting in the next room and I, and I remember saying oh crumbs right son you're gonna go and meet everybody now but they'll love you doesn't matter what the shape of your head is <laughs> <laughs> and in the walk from the from the delivery room to the waiting room that head shrunk so fast really oh gosh yeah 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 it, it was amazing it was absolutely amazing because he come out and he did look like an alien <laughs> <laughs> and i said i'll love him anyway he's mine <laughs> <laughs> but i'll have to explain things <laughs> but anyway let's let's crack on with an ad break come back with a touch of millie then hashtag the archers tweets of the last seven days um, my name is Kate. My name's Joe. My name's Nicola. My name is Suzanne Hakimi. My name is Mary Parkinson. I'm in Hope House as a client. Um, I have had addiction issues um, throughout Hope my House, life, um, um, including an eating disorder, heroin, crack, um, addiction drink, to drugs, methadone, and alcohol. 
I'm here because it got really bad. At long last, a thousand and one conversations is available to download from iTunes and all good podcatchers. This was a place where women worked to help other women. Sarah Smith cloths are really useful. If you soak them in gin, they make a marvellous Molotov cocktail if you ever get the desire to burn down a yurt. Sarah Smith for the posher washer. Fancy getting your mouth around something warm? Something comforting you can really get a firm grip on? Why not buy a Dumpty Dum mug from the shop at dumptydum.com? Goes down lovely. Good day, everyone. It's Millie Bell here on a lovely, lovely spring day in Northern Victoria in Australia. And let's get straight into it. It's been a very busy week on Facebook on all of the sites. Nikki Smith in Artist Appreciation says, Do the script writers think we are complete idiots? They are clearly using the same actors to play the turkeys and the geese. Fair comment, Nikki. Fair comment. Lisa Geary on Artist Omnibus Appreciation says, on earth is Jimmy Miller and his wife? Apparently they have a lot of rabbits on their land and let the hunt cross and by an amazing coincidence these characters who seem to have appeared from a different time-space dimension out of the ether happen to be visited at the same time by three local characters we know. The rabbit catchers and hunt organisers are on their land but they are presumably on another wavelength as I heard nothing from them. Another good point Lisa, you're on the ball. I did ask a question about Alex and the way he was treating Phoebe and I just wondered what others thought. And Joe DeBank said, I think Alex and Phoebe are there for a dramatic contrast to Helen and Rob. Phoebe will see right through it and kick him into touch. I'm not sure why Eddie's so worried about the cows. He managed to get these ones with magic beans or similar, certainly not money. He can just get more, surely. M. Johnson says, Alex and Rob, should we be worrying about the writers? These are both controlling men. Ruth Simpson said, and what would I make of Alex? A bump in the patio. Alex Woodfield said, Alex should be dumped at the earliest opportunity. Thebes is far too good for him. The general feeling, and we now know, of course, how that resolves, but this was the general feeling. Uh, Andrea Melling said, Alex needs to get his marching orders onwards and upwards, Phoebe. I'm a fan of hers and would love the Oxford thing to work out for her. Then uh, I was looking at some of the other pages and Cheryl McCulloch said, ha, 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 ha. Oh, I'm sorry, but Joe has me in stitches. Anthrax. Oh, take that, EastEnders. Very nice. Uh, Rosemary Fisher said, Would Mike, who's hoping to get a job at Barrow Farm, really go and gossip about a possible problem he's seen there in the pub? Mmm, good point. And Lizzie V said, Does anyone else think it's significant that Rob had to correct himself? from calling Jesse's wife to correct it to his first wife. And a few people on a few sites raised that. Uh, Carol Smith said, Roy, you're a darling. Now that you've sorted Phoebe out, can you have a word with Ruth? Uh, just a few roundups from some of the other pages. Uh, first of all, for the first time in oh, weeks and weeks, it looks as though Peggy may win Worst Character of the Week on Upstairs at the Ball. Peggy and the way she spoke about other family members was just atrocious and that's been recognised by the listener. Uh, There was a little bit of discussion, well actually quite a lot of discussion about the midwife. Would she really ask those questions on a first interview? Are they standard questions to ask whether she's uh, being harmed in any way or was she reflecting a concern? So I think we'll find more about that. 
And finally, I just wanted to congratulate any of you who are celebrating your anniversary of your Archer's Facebook site. Uh, so it's obviously a year ago now that uh, the original site closed down and others sprung up and they're they are really very popular and they all have their own character, their own personality. The administration is um, and moderating is done in very different ways. Um, I'm lucky because I get to dip in and out of all of them and I do enjoy the different flavours. So congratulations to you all. I hope you all partied hard and haven't got too bad a headache. And don't forget, if you do like a party, there's the Dumpty Dum meetup on the 14th of November and there's another meetup earlier in the day. We've also put that onto our website. So... Hope you have an awesome week, everybody. Awesome. I'll see you next week. Hooroo! You're back in the saddle, Millie Bell. Uh, well done. Really enjoyed that. Um, now, Lucy, mm-hmm. uh, tell us what your best tweets were that you came by in the last seven days that have the words The Archers and a hashtag before them. Thank you very much. Uh, please. Christopher Owens said granddaughter of philandering country squire with new age trust fund reliant mother yes phoebes you'll never fit in at oxford <laughs> um ginger beans said about the poor old cows mm. i reckon some fresh air got in they're not used to it <laughs> um uh, justin farrington who is becoming something of a um a, 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 a twitter star uh said scruff is raising a bovine army on the far side of lakey hill <laughs> Mm-hmm. I've got visions of it being like Zulu, scruff surrounded by Ed's cows suddenly appearing on the horizon. Um, Michael Moran said, he was doing the doctor's uh, visit. Uh, this next part is a little delicate, but are you in the sinister grip of a domineering monster at all? <laughs> uh, Kate Crichton said, birth plan, leave Rob outside. And uh, Sir Duckling Tuft is tweet of the week. Mm-hmm. We haven't heard from him for ages. In the interview with Charlie and Mike. Charlie, can you see yourself out? Mike, if I turn sideways and use my good eye, I stand a chance. (laughs) (laughs) It is never referred to, is it? The joy of of Mike only having one eye is just the gift that keeps on giving. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) Even for Terry. Terry makes jokes about it all the time because it never gets mentioned. mentioned. Fab. Right, I think we're just about done. It's been a good in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Now, uh, we need to do the belts and braces stuff, Lucy. We can't okay. just, like, say it's over and then just, like, go. What are you going to do today? The dishes? Uh, the dishes? No. I'm yeah, well, you're, you're a little lady, aren't you? I am, yes. I'm going to sit at home and wash up and do my nails. And oh, watch... you're going to watch The View. I'm going to watch, watch Cash in the Attic or something. <laughs> well, before you watch... Did I tell Cash you that was my... Cat. Did I tell you that? My, that was my first compliance warning. No. When I wrote my first BBC script, Radio 4 script, um, I got a, a compliance warning where they tell you tell you off for using rude words or something. And it said... Um, Cash in l- the attic is a rude word. No, it said, uh, Lucy Freeman, da 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 compliance warning, derogatory reference made to cash in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, please can I, ha- please, can I have that compliance review? And they said, no, they're very important. It's very important official document compliance thing. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, go. And it's only about cash in the attic. Let me have it. And they said, no, you're not taking it seriously. So I wasn't allowed it. I wanted to frame it. God, anyway, st- sorry. Stalinist repressive organisation, <laughs> isn't it? Where's the freedom of speech, speech, speech and expression? That's what I say. 
Right. But if you want to complain about that or anything else, go to <laughs> dumdydum.com and join in the debate on the forum. Uh, you can also uh, join in the very uh, good thread at the moment, started by John the First, which is... The Christmas Show thread. Or you can actually start one of your own. All right, iTunes news. Remember when you, dear Dumpty Dumber, waited with bated breath for a list of listeners who had written a review for the show on iTunes? Oh, after me saying last week, please write us the review, we have three. We have one from... Morgan NY, NY, who hails from the colony that got away. Paul uh, YD11. No, it's Paulie D. It's Paul Douglas. Hello, Paul. Oh, all right. I'll make him go all red if I say that. He gets flustered because he listens to me walking around Walthamstow and then he sees me and he goes, ah! (laughs) 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 And we also have one from? Uh, Tindara S, who talks about her love of Witherspoon's musings. Mm. Uh, If you want to keep the show, help keep the show on the road, there are a couple of ways that can be done. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Dumpty Dump and... Uh, support the show for $2 uh, or if you want to simply donate you can go to dumptydum.com and hit the donate button cool uh, remember please we need you to get in contact with us because without you it's just me and Lucy talking about births and deliveries and, and all that kind of stuff <laughs> infants uh, with funny shaped heads yes yeah. <laughs> and to do that you can send us a voice message via our website through an application called SpeakPipe, which is a little tab on the right hand side or you can call us on the phone because i know that a few people are having problems mm. um speak has been upgraded and i think it's not working necessarily with ios 9 um so hence uh you can call us on zero two zero three zero three one three one zero five to leave us a message if your tablet or mobile type device is not a working with SpeakPipe on social media. Well, specifically uh, Twitter, we are at Dumpty Dum, or you can tweet me, I'm at Royfield, or me at Lucy B. Freeman, or Sarah Smith at Sarah underscore Smith. And I never say this, and I really should. We are actually on Facebook, obviously, and uh, just go onto Facebook and type in uh, Dumpty Dum, and you can join us there. And there's some, I don't know, 800 and odd people that look there kind of talking about stuff. Uh, which is uh, about the archers. So there you go. Vaguely, probably. Mm. No, I, no, no. I always get this huge sense of doom whenever I have to update my mobile. You know, when it says a new operator. Do you want to? Do you want to? To um, you know, you get that system app thing, don't you? Mm. App upgrade, and it says, "Do you want to update all?" And every instinct, every fibre of your being is screaming, "No!" Because you know you're going to do it, <laughs> and then ninety percent of your apps are never going to work in the same way ever again. Mm. Yeah, and you, then you have the next kind of like two weeks or so where you have to keep an update. You know, there's a new version of this, yeah. there's a new version of that. Oh, yes, we accidentally forgot to yes, put that bit in because now that bit won't work. And oh, God. Tell you what, talk about first world problems, right, Lucy? Because that is a first world problem that you're coming out with there. But you know, um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how people in Syria manage to keep keep quiet about this sort of thing when that's what they should really be worrying about. <laughs> well, funny you should say that, right? But. Wasn't that one of the one of the things that people were helping um, helping the uh, the Syrian uh, migrants refugees basically said is that these are people like us. They have smartphones. Yes. These aren't weird and wonderful people from some godforsaken yeah. backwards yeah. country. These are doctors, lawyers, etc., yeah. etc. Et Look, they they have. But both, people were using like that as a reason to 
denigrate them, weren't they? Mm. Saying, well, they're not, they're not. And, you know, for most people, when when that aeroplane on the tarmac caught fire, Mm -hmm. people went back for their hand luggage. So if people are prepared to go back into a burning plane to bring out a copy of a Dan Brown novel and, you know, a credit (laughs) card and whatever dodgy Chloe by whatever Lagerfeld that you got at the, at the, at the, you know, the duty free thing. If you're Mm. prepared to risk burning to death on a plane for that, then if you're about to flee for your life, probably taking a phone with you that's got your contacts in it and Mm. every, you know, of course they, of course they would. And of course they would have those photos. Just ridiculous. People are so weird about this stuff. Can I just make a little plug mm-hmm. for my... Uh, oh, yes, your refugees one... thing. You're yes, going to do that. my yeah. Thousand and One Conversations. Uh, so Thousand and One Conversations. So I did Hope House, uh, Women on Addiction. The next one is going to be about refugees and migrants. And I have the testimony of um, my brother who um, came in the back of a lorry from Afghanistan. Then also one of our wonderful listeners, Chloe Davy who helps uh, refugees and is actually going to San... Who's going to Calais, anyway. Okay. Read that bit. Who's going to Calais... No, at... they shut Songat and then they opened another one. Who's going to Calais, yes. Sorry. Um, in uh, in <laughs> Just November. Just ruin the edit there for you. <laughs> um, so if, if you, dear listener, have a, a particular insight or story... Uh, which you'd like to share with me and with the listeners of A Thousand and One Conversations around uh, migrants and refugees, uh, please give me a tinkle and I'll get you on the show. There you go. Any parting shots? No. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. United Healthcare insurance plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare insurance plans at uh1.com.